0: when else are you going to get a chance to try this, right? Like, it was a cool opportunity um, and and go through Do it when you're young. Yeah. Experiment
1: also, with as many things as possible.
0: Yeah, and I also think, like, to be honest, like, I don't know if this is ever, post, like, you know, written down, but, like, I think there was also thinking about go no-go points, right? Like, at a certain point, you know, when I first started, I was like, this is my goal. And, like, I have two years, I have a postdoc at Cornell. Like, here's what I want to accomplish in those two years. You know, maybe I have an idea, but, like, if I don't get it done in two years or, people just not responding like maybe I need to reevaluate my thoughts and it's not like I've I'm so down to vote I can't go back and change and then you know just stop to see those things those successes line up and then I think I think the people who care about you will kind of rally to your side and be like okay cool like we're supportive in this with you
1: yes um I call those pivot persevere moments you either pivot or persevere and I encourage people to do them every quarter yeah in in everything that you're doing. It might be even the gym that you're going to. Do I want to keep going to this gym? Is my workout routine going well? Do I need to pivot or persevere? My career, the relationships, because as you mentioned, I mean, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are very much a, a compilation of the people you meet, the books you read, the experiences you experience, the places you travel to, and that becomes who you are as a person. And so you need to be selective on the people that you're surrounding yourself with, the choices that you're making, the the books you're reading, et cetera. Welcome to the Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. This is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and performance coach. Every year, Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week, I bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B to entrepreneurs with companies like DoorDash, Instagram, and YouTube, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Welcome to Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. He obtained his Ph.D. from Cornell University designing new machine learning approaches that are better suited for biological problems. While at Cornell, he authored numerous scientific publications in the fields of machine learning, pharmacology, and precision medicine. His work has led to the development of new AI prediction methods, the discovery of a novel class of cancer therapeutics, and the start of new clinical trials. He then went on to complete his postdoctoral studies at Cornell Tech's Runway Postdoc program, where he developed 1-3 Biotech, the name of his company. He's an awardee of the Pharma Informatics Fellowship, was named one of the Forbes 30 Under 30 leaders in healthcare and was listed as one of the top 100 AI leaders in drug discovery and advanced healthcare. His company, 1-3 Biotech, uses AI and computers to find why cancer is the way it is, and then using that to find new treatments. Please welcome Dr. Neal. Very excited to have you here, Dr. Neal. Welcome.
0: Thank you so much, Phil. Incredibly excited to be here, and thank you for, for the great introduction. I, sh- I should bring you along to my pitch meetings.
1: <laughs> my pleasure, and I'm happy yeah. to do that. Um, I love it. I love the work you're doing, and you're calling in from Tennessee right now, uh, Knoxville, Right. Yep. And but you're based out of New York City.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so one three is based out of um, New York where we're uh, saying, you know, we actually have you know, just moved into some some new offices in uh, in Manhattan and Grand Central. Um, sadly, no one is there right now. So I'm back in my childhood home and my sister's old bedroom in Knoxville, Tennessee.
1: Well, we appreciate you uh, making the interview, even though you're with your family. Um, it seems like a crazy time right now with COVID how are you making the most of this time and how are you aiming to play offense rather than defense
0: yeah that's a fantastic question right so i think there's there's kind of two two pieces of that right on the personal and the professional right so i'll talk about personal first right i think this is kind of um a rare opportunity to spend time with family and loved ones right like i moved out of my parents house a while ago um and you know besides the occasional Christmas or Thanksgiving, haven't really had a chance to spend any prolonged period of time to them. So I think, you know, one, just remembering, like this is a unique moment to like, you know, reconnect with with people who you might not be seeing that much or might not be spending a long period of time with um, a lot. So, and, and that's that's been kind of great. Um, also, you know, me and my girlfriend are both here. So just, just trying to get a chance to like think about, especially in this post COVID world, right? Like what are things and, and how can you maintain relationships and have fun Mm-hmm. You can't leave the house, right? We're playing a lot of board games, playing a lot of bridge, playing a lot of online games and just stuff like that, right? Finding new ways. And I think it's been opening my eyes to like new experiences and stuff like that.
1: That's great. It's like your new normal and how are you going to make the most of it? You're not expecting it to go back the way it was, but if this is the new normal, how are we going to make the most of it? And you're being creative and it forces you to level up and, and reflect on your relationships and how do I get the most out of these relationships?
0: Exactly. And then on the professional end, I think it's forcing, you know, us as a company, but also companies around the world to like accelerate their how they think about things. Right. So luckily the work we do um, can be done pretty, pretty well remote, right? So our day to day work actually hasn't slowed down that much, you know, compared to most companies, because we're uh, computational, like the progress of work has kind of stayed the same, if not actually increased, you know, but but this has kind of brought up a lot of questions about like, how, what does the future of work look like, right? You know, I would say before COVID, right, talking about remote work, is something that we had around you know startup you throw around tons of things then other things come up on top of them and you just never forget to go back to them um, but this is kind of you know forced us to think about like how do you actually make a remote working company work right like how do you build a remote first culture how do you make sure that you know people who are in different zones who have different you know personal lives different you know responsibilities different you know resources can still continue to work um and you know so i think it's it's forced us and you know, I'm really grateful of it to like think about inclusion and um, building beyond kind of the preset working norms. So I think that's been great to us. And actually, you know, it's good.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, it's almost like a blessing in disguise, a lot of goods gonna come out of this because it forces you to be more efficient and effective with your how you're spending your time, how you're spending your energy, how you're spending your resources, your human capital and your financial capital.
0: Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Right, I think, you know, the financial capital, I think it's obvious, right? Like, you know, um, we fundraise, we were lucky enough in, in, in the spot to, to fundraise, <coughs> excuse me, fundraise right around, right before kind of this happened, like right? purely serendipitously, right? So we we're in a good spot financially, but, you know, who knows when the market is really going to recover? I think companies like ours or companies around the world, big or small, are thinking through like, how do we ride out the storm? Um, and, you know, even though we were in, Um, a good spot like we're still thinking through like how to be more efficient with that and also like i would say like you know thinking through things like um how do you how do you stay efficient and and be more organized i would say like i am notoriously I'm not a very organized person, right? Like even in grad school, I was the type of person who had a million things going on and we were like, okay, like let me focus on one and forget to go back to the other. Um, and I think that's something that's a tendency of a lot of startups, right? It's kind of, I think some, I heard someone describe doing a startup as, you know, the entire house is on fire and you're just trying to put out one fire at a time. Mm, right? And with One that room feeling, at a time. Exactly. Yeah, and with that feeling, sometimes like you get caught up in such of the minutiae, you forget to go build in those best practices. But You know we no longer have the office to fall back on like i no longer can say like afford to not be organized because i can just like quickly grab someone and chat with them like we've had it forces
1: you to set up processes systems be very organized because if you're not in person you might have to access materials in a certain location and i think you could argue some might argue that it's actually gonna force companies to realize like hey we were paying for these subscriptions or softwares or applications that we're not even really using. And we might even be paying people that we probably shouldn't have been paying to do things that we could outsource to AI or an app or software or yeah. a remote worker and have a distributed team. And what I love is that you get to do this out of New York City where you have an amazing work center. I mean, this grand central idea where they put these work places in the offices for startups right in grand central that's got to be an incredible experience you're you're rubbing uh, elbows and with other influential individuals and you kind of bounce ideas off of each other how has that been before this
0: yeah it was um it was fantastic right so i you know if for anyone who's interested in this like new york or not right like it's it's the program's called grand central tech and it's run by a group called company it's a company named company it's,
1: it's like the the elon boring company idea exactly
0: yeah i'll let them explain the story behind it but you know it's a super cool institution right um really focused on like bringing and building out the new york city startup ecosystem and and we we loved it right like i would say i'm a first-time founder um and for any other first-time founders out there i cannot overstate how important it is like the value you get simply from being around and working with other first-time founders, right? like working through that and, and figuring that out. And just being in a spot where you're with 15 other startups that are running completely different companies, but just like being in that interaction, feeling that energy was amazing, right? Um, and, yeah. and just, yeah, like the idea of being in the center of New York, like can't be overstated. Right? Like I, I grew up in Tennessee and I always dreamed of like, one day I'm gonna move to the big city. Uh, and, you know, I went to graduate school in, in New York, so like, you know, part of it, but, you know, it's a little bit off to the side, it's on a little medical campus world, but like just being in Central and feeling the energy and the hustle and bustle, it, it, it's invigorating and, you know, it's to be determined what the world will look like post-COVID and like whether stuff like that will certainly still exist, but still exist to the level it existed before, um, I honestly don't know the answer. And, you know, we're trying really hard to think about, like, how can we maintain that sort of energetic feeling in a remote work setting? But I will just say, like, you know, Grand Central Tech and, and the whole program and the whole building uh, kind of built this amazing place. And, and
1: I, Very cool. Uh,
0: it's a pity we, we can't be using it right now.
1: Well, I like that you're still playing offense and trying to get the most out of, of this time period that you can. And I love on the personal side how you're playing board games. So, oh, yeah. What are, you, what are your go-to favorites? Like top one, what you would recommend? Okay,
0: okay. Um, I don't know what I would recommend. Let me think. Let me think. Um, so I'm like a huge strategy board game nut. Right? Like I like those like weird board games that no one's really like.
1: Settlers up. of Catan. Okay,
0: so this is like I I love Settlers... I would say Settlers of Catan is one of the few things that like I, if I had to pick like I, for some reason I'm just like very good at Settlers of Catan. Um, so I love it. I like started playing it in grad school, and there was probably a time in grad school where I would play a game of Settlers every night with my friends for like four or five months. It it got bad. Um, Now we've hit the stage where like, you know, um, most of our friends have been kind of bored of playing it. So we're looking for new games to play. Um, But I do love Settlers. Like, I'm a big fan of just simple card games. Like, uh, we're a big bridge family, which I know is like a very classic old person game. And I've started playing bridge because I played it with my grandfather. Um, So stuff Have you ever
1: played um, Cranium or Taboo?
0: Yeah, so I I love Taboo. I've never played that much Cranium. I'm a big fan of Taboo, a big fan of Catch Catchphrase, like any of the like team-based- Oh, if you like that, then
1: you're gonna love Cranium. Oh, perfect. I mean, my two favorites are Taboo and Cranium. They're the go-to because one, they offer any level of experience. So you could be a beginner to expert, you could be young, you can be old, it doesn't matter. And it's very easy and quick to learn, but it's also extremely engaging. So it's fun for people that might not like strategy, but there's there's not really luck involved, which is what I like. It, it actually requires some skill and some skill. teamwork. And so I love taboo. I always start with taboo as like the primer, getting everyone's juices flowing and their energy flowing. And then you move into you cranium, move cranium and cranium. it's like oh. smooth transition. Look you, at
0: you. You've got to a... skip.
1: I got a whole plan, you know. So yeah. whenever you're ready to, go to Tampa, we're gonna we're gonna game out. I have settlers of Kitan too. For Perfect, once, man. once we the people die out from the uh, the the other games and the, the intense gamers, we can move into the settlers. of Kitan. I love it. I
0: love it. No, um, I have. Uh, there's been so many times I've been in line for something. I pulled out like the Taboo, a catchphrase app on my phone, and gotten our friends into a game. Oh, and, on uh, the apps too. Yeah. Heads up. Heads yep. up
1: by uh, Ellen DeGeneres. That's a great. I book. love
0: it. There's one game. If you're looking for that like kind of an app-based game, it's something people haven't heard of. I'd recommend. I'm not gonna. I won't describe it because it's kind of complicated. But I'd look recommend everyone look up this game called Spyfall. If you like those sorts of games, Spyfall. Uh, yeah, yeah, like like the the James Bond movie. Um,
1: okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. All right, um, well, listeners, check it out. Spyfall, you heard it's it It's interesting,
0: right? It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it reminds me a lot of, like, the Taboo Cranium. Like, you're playing it as a group. It's, like, a mix of that plus, like, the old, um like, the Mafia game, right? Where everyone puts okay, a and someone dies. It's kind of fun.
1: And... Were you in New York? Let's uh, go back to when you first made the Forbes list. Where were you when you found out? And were you in New York? Were you in Tennessee? (laughs) What do you remember about that moment?
0: What I remember about making the list. Uh, Yeah. Um, So, you know, I honestly like the... I was still in grad school uh, when I made the list right and you know as a grad student you're very much like heads down working on your research like not really thinking on like next steps and like lists like Forbes and stuff like that but I was nominated by my school Um, I remember I had a couple interviews like back you know I guess this was I don't even remember the year but November 2016 yeah that of that year right yeah Um, So that year, I remember, and I kind of forgotten about it, hadn't heard anything about it for a while, and like didn't really know what was happening. I was at home for Christmas, and um, I I was flying back to New York. So I was actually on my way to the airport to fly back to New York. It was like January 1st or January 2nd or whatever the day was. Um, And someone in my department tweets congratulations, and tagged me, like, at Neil I'm like, what is he congratulating me for? <laughs> um, and then so I opened a tweet, and, like, I messaged him, like, yeah, what's up? Like, something happened? Like, am I missing something? Like, he was sits right next to me, so I thought it was a work thing. I'm like, oh, did, like, did we get a good scientific result? Or, like, what's going on here? Um, and then he just tweets, like, oh, check out Forbes.com. And, like, still I'm like, what is he talking about? Not even remembering that this list was something we had been nominated for. And then I, I remember pulling it out. And then just like telling my parents in the car, I'm like, oh, I guess I, I made the Forbes study study list. I don't even remember what my parents' first reaction was because they were driving me to the airport. I think their first reaction was like, what are you talking about? Like,
1: <laughs> You must a have been so proud of you. Yeah, and then
0: I was like, I don't know. Like, it's, it is. And then they were all like, everyone was super happy. And they we were like, I almost missed my flight because we were like chatting in the car. And I'm not have a person who goes to the airport like right before the gate closes. So,
1: and they were wondering, you, Forbes list, like you're not a business person. And yeah. it, most people don't know this, that... Forbes names the top thirty leaders, celebrities, stars, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs in the world in twenty different industries, twenty different categories. In in your case, it was healthcare.
0: Yeah, so it, it was a it was a cool moment, right? I think it was. um like I remember getting back to New York, and like then I got back off the. To- the plane and like turn my phone back on and just like a litany of messages. I'm like, Hey, I saw you on this list. I'm like, yeah, Hey, like, Very thanks, guys. Proud moment. It's, it's a cool moment. Certainly. It was something I was not even close to expecting, but uh, it was, it was fun.
1: So you're in grad school. You, tell us about that moment when you found success. Uh, how did you come across this? How, what led you to the path you're on now?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, so I'm, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. If, if, so if you would, asked me when I was 10 years old, even before, right, like, literally also like, what I wanted to be, I would have almost certainly told you I wanted to be a physician, right, like, med is like treating patients. Um, you know, my family is a mix of engineers and physicians, right, like half my it's, it's pretty much equally split down the middle. Um, and I always kind of like really admired that sort of the medical world, um, both in terms of seeing my family members do it, but also because I was the kid who stayed up late watching those old medical TV shows like House and Scrubs. I'm like, I want to be that person. Um, and that was super cool to me. Um, and up to my sophomore year of college, that's what I was on. I was pre-med, I loved math, but like didn't really see any way to combine biology and math. So I was sticking with just math. But, you know, Pre-med, taking all the med school classes, interning at hospitals, working with physicians. Um, and my sophomore year of college, uh, my grandfather, who I was very, very close to, who actually lived with us for a while and kind of helped raise me and, and do a lot of the things that, that you know, I'm passionate about today, um, uh, ended up being diagnosed and later passing away from a very rare form of cancer. And I remember part of his treatment protocol was clinical trials. So he went through, he was had some of the best physicians, then the best one of the best hospitals in the world, um, newest medicine and like i was pretty young then. i remember after he got to a point where it was clear he wasn't going to make it like wanting to you know i kind of regret to say but like wanting to be angry at someone being like Mm. what's going on like whose fault is this and like the more i thought about it i was like i can't really blame anyone like the doctors did the best they could you know everyone here did the best they could it's just like there's nothing that could be done and, and that was kind of the moment where I first started to think about the other side of medicine. Like, okay, fine. Like, you could have the best doctor in the world. But, like, if you just don't have a treatment, like, there's still you're still kind of trapped. And the more I looked into it, the more I learned that like, there were so many treatments out there that maybe could have helped them that were just stuck in that development phase. And, you know, for people who don't know, developing a drug, a new drug, is, like, one of the most costly, time-consuming, and hardest things anyone or any company can take on, Right. It takes about 15 years for a single drug to go from the lab to the patients. About $2 billion is some average estimates. And that 99% of the drugs fail along the way. So most drugs don't even make it to the end. And, and I think this was kind of when I saw, started realizing, like, okay, like there's this whole other side of medicine here. I started getting really interested in that, learning a little bit more. This was right around the time genetics was becoming a real big thing. And I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to work with the DOD um, on one of their first prostate cancer projects, you know a friend of mine introduced me to someone there, and you know we just started talking. And uh, the way genetics first was being analyzed was was very much a mix of mathematics, computer science, and biology. And like that was the first time I was like, oh cool, like this math I've been learning for so long like actually could be applied to these biological problems, and we could do something good here. Um And I think I kind of fell in love almost instantly with like this idea of computational biology there. Um, so, Spent more time my junior thinking about it, decided I wanted to take a, a slight left turn and, and applied to, to graduate schools instead of medical schools. Um, I remember interviewing at a bunch of different ones. And then I remember at my Cornell interview, um, Dr. Alimento, so Olivia Elemento, my co-founder and my professor, um, was giving a talk to all potential recruits. And he talked about his research, and he described the Precision Medicine Center, which Cornell was just opening up, This basically the intersection of computational work, patient care, allowing researchers to really impact patient care and really impact drug discovery, and and talked about a few case studies. And I remember immediately after his talk, I sent him an email, still in the interview, being like, hey, that's what I want to do. Like, if I come to Cornell, I want to work with you, and like, I really only want to work with you. Mm You know, luckily... What a compliment. yeah, things worked out. Got in, you know. Started working with him, and and you know the kind of the vest is a little bit of history, right? Spent, you know, from day one, started working with him, and thinking about like how can we actually use computers and AI to better drug discovery, better precision medicine. Um, ultimately, that formed the technology, formed the basis of what we're building at One Three. Um, yeah, and and to your second question, like when I found success, right? like I don't know if I ever really had that that aha moment, and I still don't think I've ever had that aha moment. Like, people always ask me like, when did you know you wanted to start a company? When was it like did I have something. It was never really like that for me, right? Like I think part of what I think as a grad school or being a scientist teaches you is to like question everything, and like I think more importantly, that applies to your own work as well, right? So even once an experiment I had worked out, you know, I would be the type of person who's like, okay, cool. But like what am I missing? Right? Like there's there's more to the story. Um, I think that is helpful to me because it, it helped you know in grow that part of me and make me a, a more inquisitive scientist. But a stance of that is even nowadays at one like even though I really strongly believe something we have something, it's there's not like a moment like where we're we've successful, we're done. Right? There's always more to do, always mm. more to build.
1: It reminds me of Stephen Hawking when after he finished his thesis, his the famous question they asked him, What are you gonna do next? And he says. I'm going to prove my thesis wrong.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. (laughs) He was
1: going to argue against his own work.
0: Yeah. And so questioning
1: everything is such a great tip of advice. It's like making sure that you are always questioning everything, everyone, even for the sake of the mind expansion exercise that it, it provides you with. And I love that. You know, you were thinking, how can I take this theoretical approach? I don't want this to just end up as a research publication. I want to see how can I tangibly impact humans' lives. And, and you bridged that connection. And you were like, 15 years, we need to accelerate this process a bit, guys. What have we been doing in here?
0: <laughs> yeah, no. So we're working on it, right? Like, you know, we're a young company and, and you know, there's still a lot of work to be done, and drug discovery is it, a gargantuan task. and you know, um, I will say like the people working on this problem are some of, you know, even outside of our company, especially outside of our company, are some of the most talented, smartest, dedicated people I've ever met in my life. But it's a hard task. And, you know, our goal is to to try and impact in whatever little way we can. Um, we believe, believe we have something and, and it could be useful. But, you know, it's, it's, it's on us to basically prove it. I think at a certain point, like the onus of responsibility comes on us and that's why I started the company realizing that, like, if we wanted this to get out, we had to do it ourselves. And now we're at this place where, you know, luckily we have the privilege to to try and go out and, and build it. It's admirable uh, that you look at it that way.
1: And I empathize with you because I was also pre-med. I wanted <laughs> to be an ophthalmologist, okay. eye surgeon, and I had shadowed doctors, eye doctors specifically since I was like 11 years old always wanted to do it. And I was pre-med, ended up working for the New York Yankees team physician, worked in awesome. emergency medicine. I was really, I love the route of emergency medicine because it's ever changing. You never know what to expect. And always
0: something new. Yeah.
1: With ophthalmology, it was a little predictable with a PCP primary care physician. It was a little, it was too predictable as well. And, and so I love that emergency medicine, but then the day-to-day lifestyle is just, it's, it's not nearly what you expect it to be. And when you're watching House, for example, and you're learning about Occam's Razor and you're learning all these cool, innovative, oh, I'm going to be this creative problem solver. And sometimes it doesn't always look like that in real life. Yeah. Um, but What I love about your work is you took a personal story, a personal pain, and turned it into uh, an impact that you're creating for others because your family member had this. And, and my dad was, uh, you know, recently passed from melanoma. And it was, a, it was one, in a, one and a half years from diagnosis to yeah. when he passed away. And we had Dr. Mario Snoll and, and a- Dr. Alice Lee from um, Yale Oncology. I mean, some of the best in the world, Moffitt Cancer Center here in, in Tampa, all working on this. And it, it, there's just so much work to be done, even with how much progress has been made more specifically, in the past five years with melanoma specifically, I mean, phase three trials need to be accelerated and the, the amount of time it takes from the idea or theoretical conception to when it can actually be applied in, in phase three trials with a high success rate is uh, I'm really excited about your work because I'm hoping that we can save more people's lives like your family member and my father um, in in the future for other people.
0: Yeah, no, man, I completely agree, and, and I, thank you for sharing that. i You know, and I'm sorry that happened, right? Like, I always say, I think the saddest thing about my story is that it's not a very unique story, right? Like everyone around the world, either their own family or knows someone whose family has been affected by, you know, cancer or different rare and treated disease. And and I think one thing I love about biotech entrepreneurship specifically or this, it's just like, there's so many personal stories. Like the people you meet are driven by, you know, motives far more than just like monetarily, right? Like they have, this. There's, there's a reason they want to do it. And like, even in our team, right? Like, you know, my co-founders have had first people, you know, who have dealt with serious illnesses or, or family members who passed away and, and the people we've recruited. And, and it just, it brings this sort of like energy and vibe that uh, I'm, I I feel privileged to like be a part of and to like lead a team working on that. Um, isn't
1: it one, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Neil, but isn't it one out of every two people will now get cancer at one point in their lifetime?
0: Yeah, so I, I, I won't, I don't know the specific stat, but I've heard numbers very similar to that, right? And I think, you know, cancer is now becoming a disease where certain people, so for instance, like it's, it's now less becoming a question for a lot of doctors I talk to of like, if you'll get cancer, it's like, if people live long enough, something's probably gonna happen, right? You know, from you know, for instance, like prostate cancer. Right, For a lot of people, it's not that serious because they get it in old age. But if people start living longer, if people are being healthier, right, like these cancers, you know, most people assume you'll eventually get it. So it is becoming much, much harder. And and on the other side, right, we're trying to push, very rightly so, this idea of precision medicine around the world, right? like treating patients as individuals and gaining treatments that are suited to them. and as more and more people start to get it and as cancer becomes more diverse and evolves, like it's going to be even more important to like have a very active approach to like new drug discovering cancer, which, you know, we're doing, hundreds of other companies in this world are doing, like ranging from Big pharma to small. Thought, but small startups um and like i'm just super happy we get to be a part of this movement well that's that's why i like
1: that you're using machine learning because you're accelerating the discoveries that you can make as cancer is evolving you're evolving and trying to stay one step ahead Uh, that's why i'm really excited about uh you know genomics and and also stem cell therapy and how we can alter and edit the genes to to change things that my father went through, you know, he just had a mole on his back. Yeah. And you know, about five years ago it was remarkable, uh, malignant. So they resected it and all of his reevaluations were unremarkable. So his lymph node biopsies, everything was normal, he had no signs of it or anything. What we didn't know it was, it was metastasizing and it ended up being a metastatic brain cancer uh, yeah. because of that. So it, it was, You know, that's why they called that specifically the silent killer. And then by then it was too late. So we had to move from deciding on neurosurgery to stereotactic uh, radiation to then uh, chemo, the BRAF MEK inhibitors, and then ultimately to the ipinevo immunology, um, I mean, excuse me, immunotherapy treatment, uh, which has been seen to have promising results. Uh, But once it's too late, it's a little hard. So where do you see the cancer treatments moving based on your work? Because I was just listening to a TED Talk of a, I think it was a Stanford cardiologist, and they were using, this was like the leading expert in using stem cells for, specifically for the heart tissue, assigning that role. And I remember this line, and then I'll, I'll let you share they said, you know, we, we thought we had it. I projected about a year and a half it would be in phase three trials because we, we saw it working in the lab. It's now been 20 years and we still haven't figured it out because yeah. I guess when it went to phase three trials, it worked to a point and then unfortunately it was, it was not working after a six month period. So where do you see things going in the future with cancer treatment?
0: It's a great question. Um- so I will give kind of a, a, a roundabout answer. I think what we're seeing in cancer is this amazing emergence of new technology, right? You mentioned a few from you know, immunotherapies, T-cells, you know, to you know, stem cell treatments, to you know, microbiome and new radiation, um, to more targeted drugs, right? The small molecule, and I'll try not to get too technical here. But what we've seen more often than not is like there's there's two there's two sides to this question and and um we always say at one three is like there's the what like what is working and and what's going to be the next step and then underneath the what there's the why right like why is this working or kind of in this example you mentioned like if something's not working why is it not working and I kind of love biology because it almost feels like the one of the last frontiers that we're really trying to understand right like the bigger question is, can you figure out like why the human body is working where it is? Why is immunotherapy working? Why are new targeted drugs working or not? And that's kind of how we frame the question at one. Like we are trying to solve the why. We are trying to understand that deep biological insight. And that could be used across the board. You know, if you could figure out why cancer is evolving or why one drug is working and why not the other, of course, you can Guaranteed use that for on immediate patient treatment, but you can also use that to like bigger understand the bigger question, right? If you can understand why the human body works the way it works, right, you could use those technologies or even develop technologies that we might not even have thought about yet, right? And I think that's kind of the limiting step, but right? understanding enough and then saying like, how do we actually treat this? You know, I think what you're going to see, and, and I'll speak to a little bit to my expertise here, right? And I don't know as much about some of these other fields, but most of what we work on are like small molecules in immunotherapies, right? So drugs that, that hit the human body. I think you're going to start to see, we're kind of passing the age of traditional chemotherapy, right? Chemotherapy was you give a drug, it kills everything. Hopefully it kills more cancer than it kills non-cancer. You know, you're now seeing drugs become super targeted. So, how can you design a drug that specifically only hits cancer um, or specifically only hits cancer in certain patients? And I think what you're going to start to see is you're going to, as we understand more biology, you're going to start seeing combinations of drugs being layered. You know, we're working on a few partnerships where it's, you know, if you hit this type, the cancer will evolve and, and escape this way. If you hit it over here, it'll escape this way. So, let's get, give a combination of drugs to block all escape points. Um, and I think that's where you're going to start to see the future of cancer care go like not any single one treatment or therapy or approach but like how can you design a combination approach suited to a specific patient to make sure you're not just treating the cancer now but hopefully preventing its recurrence later
1: yeah that's a great point it's you're thinking Mm it might not necessarily be a cure but it'll be more targeted so there'll be less repercussions or consequences or you know side effects now Thinking about you in, in this field and the progress that you've made, what do you think for you was the most important personal attribute that got you to where you are today? The single most important attribute. So huh. I'm sure other people are in this field and are like, and I, I really want to get to this point of Dr. Neil's success and progress. And what would you say is the single most important attribute?
0: I, I don't know. Right. Um, you know, uh, it's funny you ask this question because this is actually a question we ask, you know, we're hiring, we interview people, we ask similar questions. And I always say, like, I don't really know if I have a good answer myself. So I'll, I'll maybe give a couple things, right? Um, you know, I think one is is not even an attribute of myself, but I think what's gotten to me where I am is is the people who have been around me, right? I think you learn so much. So many people are lucky just to, to absorb the knowledge of the people we have had, right? Um, I think my co-founders, to so the people I worked with, like the person who I was, one year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, it's not the I am today. I think a big part of that is just, like, who I've had the privilege of interacting with. On, like, a slightly more personal note, like, one thing I would just encourage, I, you know, I think I kind of view startups as, like, starting one three is, like, the most fulfilling, exciting thing I've done, and also the most terrifying thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, and especially, you know, you talk about, I think, like, when you talk about questioning everything, there's, there's, there's a challenge of, turning into, like, kind of a cynic about everything and, like, also not hoping on everything. And I would say, like, I would I think a lot of my friends and people I'm close to would describe me as a bit of an optimist. And even though I'm questioning a lot of these things, like, I still do fundamentally believe that there's an opportunity to do good and an opportunity for, like, the things we're working on could help. Um, and I think that's been super important, especially in, like, the research world where, like, you know, I'm fully prepared for, at 1-3, if we build 100 things, 50% of them may not work if 50% of them worked, fantastic. But like, just building in that mentality, both within myself and within the company that like failure is okay. And like, Mm -hmm. failing on something doesn't mean you lose the optimism you have for the future. Um, Specifically, you know, because I think at the end of the day, like I think the best I'm a new CEO, but I think the best CEOs will hire people much smarter than them. And, you know, if one, three f- succeeds because I am technically the smartest person, then that means I haven't done my job. I should be hiring people smarter You are A-plus players. Exactly. Who, people who are better at cancer biology, better at coding, better at machine learning than me or anyone else on the team.
1: And I like that. So surround yourself with really smart people. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Oh. There's a great book called The Who? by Jeff Smart, and it's amazing at weeding out the B and C players in your hiring process. And what I like about it is he walks you through step by step by step, explicitly telling you what to do in the interview process to make sure you're only hiring A-plus players.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. You know, to be fair, I feel like I haven't, it's been many, many years since I've been the smartest person in the room, right? Now, it's, at our team meetings, I'm very usually not, but, and I love that. But I also think it's, it's, it's as much about hiring the A-plus people as, as finding the people and molding them, giving them the environment to become A-plus people, right? You know, when I started, like I was not an A-plus CEO by any definition of that when I started the company, right? And I, I may not be now, right? But I think I'm just thinking about like the growth, the, op- the people who gave me the opportunity to learn and to grow in that and just like giving that to people we bring on, right? So in addition to like finding the best people, you know, I think it's important for business leaders, anyone working in this, to think about like, what can I do to give this person who I trust and who I want to work in my company, the environment for them to succeed and grow into what they want to be. Um, specifically because like I, all of my friends who have like left high paying jobs or good jobs, or, a lot of times they told me it's because they didn't feel like they could do their best work there. Right? it wasn't the, you know, I, Limited sample, but I feel like most people probably don't leave because you know pays a little bit bad. It's like you know they just they don't have the experience to grow, and that's what I and I think we hope to build at One Three to give the people hire A plus people and give everyone a chance to become you know. Uh, if you plus. can't like, find the yeah.
1: environment, if you can't find the environment that's conducive to your growth, then create one or find yeah. another one.
0: Exactly, and I think one of the things I think about remote work is is I think a big kind of underlying principle in remote work is like employee flexibility right the underlying Mm -hmm. is like give people the flexibility to work and 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 how they want to work and I think a silver lining of all of that is it should ideally become a little bit easier for companies if they accept that to give people the invite to create that environment right not everyone is now forced to be in the same environment which may work for some may not work for others and it gives companies the opportunity to be much more inclusive right like for instance like some people might have your disabilities which prevent them from thriving in one environment but now if companies can be open to that and uh you know i think this is accelerating that you yes. think about like how can i bring in those people who i might not have even realized i haven't given the opportunity before and, and give them the spot to succeed
1: that's a great point and during this journey what do you think's been maybe your biggest lesson you've learned that maybe you wow. wish you had learned sooner
0: oh my god um <laughs> so many things <laughs>
1: Like, for me, I wish I would have read self-improvement books earlier yeah. in my career.
0: So I would say the biggest thing I've learned, and, and this, is, this is a little bit, and it's okay to not know something. Um, and it's okay to kind of just be okay. Like, you have to, have to be okay with that, right? Like, I remember my very first fundraising pitch, right? This was so long ago, I don't even remember who. But I know I was in there being like, this is a clear plan. Like, we're going to do all of this. This is how the environment's going to go. And this is how the market's going to go um all of these things and, and to be fair i think some entrepreneurs do this fantastically and you know it's of depends on the way you run as a person but the more i did that i was like i feel like i'm saying things like i don't even know if i believe it right because like there's so many unknowns especially in our industry like no one knows what really healthcare is going to be like you know ai has never really been applied like the business models are kind of unclear or we'll planning things um and if you don't admit you don't know you're never going to get to a place where you can ask people for help or ask for different opinions right um and so i think that's kind of one thing i I'd, I'd wish i'd learned a little bit earlier to kind of come in and be like yo guys like here's what i think but i fundamentally don't know the answer but here's what i could use help um if there's that's one excellent. yeah there's one thing people have banged into me as an entrepreneur is like you just you have to ask for help so many times and you have to be not shy about asking um the worst thing people can do is say like you know i can't help you but you know, I find that people are more willing to help and friendlier than, than you might think. Um, and, but if you never give them the chance, you're probably not going to see it.
1: People are so important. And it sounds yeah. like there was a lot of pivotal people in your life. Who was your coach or mentor during this Who? time?
0: Um, I, I, you know, I, I kind of feel like I had a few different coaches, right? You know, scientifically, you know, Olivier, uh, my co-founder and my professor was like kind of like my scientific he guided my scientific journey like, thinking about how I think about problems and I'm sure you know you can ask people in the lab like I was oftentimes described as like a mini Olivier because like I learned to think about problems the same way he thought about problems but good in that you know on the um, on a personal side but like I think you know, my family, my parents and my grandfather have always been huge mentors, right? Like my dad has been kind of a serial entrepreneur just trying new things, right? Ranging from writing children's books to building a, a educational company um, while being a professor. And my mom just has probably one of the most like incredible work ethics I've seen, right? She came uh, to this country, you know, while being pregnant with myself and, and later my sister had got a master's, had no job, now she's a director of this this relatively larger, you know, tech consulting firm. And then just ranging out across, like my sister is one of the, she's not a scientist, but like she kind of, I I was, I was a scientific snob when I was growing up, I'll be fully honest, right? Like I grew up in like an Indian family and I was good at bio and math. And I was like, yeah, this is the perfect. And my sister was not, (laughs) she was a great speaker and she was good at English and you know just like the people around me her like my girlfriend showed me two things like so I always feel like I feel like if i had one coach it's like trying to absorb bits and pieces from everyone ranging from like the worth ethic of my mom the scientific knowledge from Olivia or my girlfriend like the way she thinks about questions and the, she's also a scientist um, we met in grad school the way she thinks about questions and that deep analytical mind is something that I'm continually trying to build and people are you better. compliment
1: each other things that maybe you found yourself um weak in they they had a strength and you compliment each other well and you that's actually a great tip i think in general for uh, your peers is instead of looking at what they're not look at what they are what is the yeah. value of their strength and that you could possibly assimilate to your exactly
0: and and, and i will say like one i think i mentioned earlier right like a great thing about yeah, I think every startup founder needs to have a community of founders, right? Both founders at the same stage of them and founders at a greener stage. Like there are so many founders that are much bigger companies than I am and just like learning from them. You know, I, I think like, I, I don't love the word, I, I don't usually call them a coach just because I think it, it's a very much like, sometimes that, that implies a one-sided relationship. I think we're both learning from each other and it's an opportunity for them to, for me to like, learn from them and get to know them not as like this coach or this other thing, but like as a person and like what are their faults what are they struggling with what can i do to help um but yeah there's been so many fellow ceos that have taught me lessons that, that I've, I've learned from their experience and um, I don't yeah
1: know. you want a synergistic relationship where when you level up and grow they level up and grow at the same time
0: yes exactly yeah when,
1: now you know, obviously there's times when we're building a startup and you're going through transitions, um, deciding between medical school and grad school, you sometimes have to do things to hustle and get by. And especially when you're in grad school and you're trying to make a big, you're trying to find that one doctor's email so I can get a direct contact with them. What's something scrappy you did to hustle that maybe you couldn't have revealed when you were first starting out, but you could reveal now,
0: (laughs) you know, um, (laughs) <laughs> it's a great question. And so, so one of the things that, I'll talk about business, right? When, when I first thinking about signing a company, I had no idea what that was like, right? Never signed the company before, never really took business classes, never, just, this is not a big part of my mind, right? I was a doctor and then I was a scientist and all of a sudden I was thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. But one of the great things about being a graduate student is you have an at cornell.edu email address. So I sent a ton of emails to the business leaders, being like, "Hi, I'm a Cornell student. I'm like doing research <laughs> for a paper, writing a paper. Can I pick your brain for a few minutes?"
1: Everybody um, loves helping a student.
0: Exactly, and like people are so willing to like share. And like to be fair, like I won't say who because some of them are our competitors nowadays. But um, you know, people were willing to like give information and like talk through, and you know allow me to learn in, like, a way that, like, I don't think I would have been possible if, you know, I had just just like, hey, I'm starting a company. Can you, can you talk, right? Um, and so that was, like, maybe something. Maybe I shouldn't have done it. Who knows? But uh, it allowed me to, like, accelerate my learning and, and get in front of people. You know, since then, I've kind of become a little bit, like I said, you have to go, you know, this is back when I had a hard time really asking for help and all those things. Since then, I've become a little bit shameless. It's like, yo, I need help with this. Come talk to me but back in those days yeah you got to use this
1: got to use the student card yeah exactly you're only you're only going to have it for a brief moment in time so use that student card yeah we
0: have a bunch of
1: people get as much information as you can i mean you and i had similar paths because i started you know pre-med and ultimately the reason i ended up switching career paths is not because I just didn't like the day-to-day life. Yeah, that was part of it. But I ended up becoming a finalist on Shark Tank, the TV show on yeah. ABC. And I was like enthralled by the idea of entrepreneurship. I was like, business is amazing. I'm going to grad school for business. I'm
0: doing it. Yeah,
1: I'm doing it. And my mom's like, what the hell is an entrepreneur?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different thing. Different, like, who the hell New quits
1: the New York, York Yankees? York. She was pissed.
0: Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> no, I so, it and for time. you even
1: more, I mean, that must have been a... How did you convince your parents? Like, parents, I'm uh, I'm not taking the typical route. I'm not following medicine. I'm going to go more business side, more entrepreneurial side. Were
0: they a little scared for you? Um, Yes, and I think to be fair, I'm not sure if I've still convinced them. This is the (laughs) Um, you know whenever whenever like something goes wrong, like I'll hear my parents or my extended family like, you go, you can still apply to med school. I'm like, yeah, Um, you know, I don't know. I think you know, I think one thing I love about my parents is that you know. Um, they uh, a very understanding of being like you can't really do it. You have to be you have to love what you want to do. And I think at a certain point it became clear like this is where my heart was at. And um, you know I, I could do great things. Right? And you know there's there's the, there's the side of a parent that like wants their child to be comfortable and successful, you know, financially. And then there's the side that wants them to be happy, you know, in their personal life. And you know entrepreneurship it, it's a tough road, but there's an opportunity to do both, right? And I think. Um, it was a good time to do it. And also, like, I think at a certain point, it's also just like thinking through like you're, you know, I was young at the time, so I'm relatively young in the grand scheme of things, right? When else are you going to get a chance to try this, right? Like it was a cool opportunity um, and, and go through do it when you're young. Yeah. Experiment
1: also, with as many things as possible.
0: Yeah. And I also think like, to be honest, like I don't know if this is ever pers- like, you know, written down, but like, I think there was also thinking about go, no go points, right? Like at a certain point, you know, when I first started, I was like, this is my goal. And like, I have two years, I have a postdoc at Cornell, like, here's what I want to accomplish in those two years. You know, maybe I have an idea. But like, if I don't get it done in two years, or people just aren't responding, like, maybe I need to reevaluate my thoughts. And it's not like I've, I'm so down the vote, I can't go back and change. And then you know, just start to see those things, those successes line up. And then I think, I think the people who care about you will kind of rally to your side and be like, okay, cool. Like we are supportive in this with you.
1: Yes. Um, I call those pivot persevere moments. You either pivot or persevere and I encourage people to do them every quarter. Yeah. In, in everything that you're doing, it might be even the gym that you're going to. Do I want to keep going to this gym? Is my workout routine going well? Do I need to pivot or persevere my career? the relationships, because as you mentioned, I mean, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are very much a a compilation of the people you meet, the books you read, the experiences you experience, the places you travel to, and that becomes who you are as a person. And so you need to be selective on the people that you're surrounding yourself with, the choices that you're making, the the books you're reading, etc.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I completely agree, right? And I think You know, I I always wish I had more time to read, partially because of that, right? You just absorb so much knowledge that I don't think you get if you're just, like, so singularly focused. And I know entrepreneurs tend to, like, there's so much to do. Sometimes you tend to be just like, I have to get this done. Um, But I always think it's kind of helpful to take a step back and be like, okay, you know, where is my pivot, persevere moment? I I think that's a good, good phrase. And then what do I need to do to learn and convince myself a little bit more?
1: That's why it's so important to have a diverse group of peers that you regularly access. I uh, started this mastermind has become a bastardized term, but if you, have you heard of the word mastermind? (laughs) Okay. So mastermind, I'm not sure if you know where it came from. In 1927, the, the term was coined by Dale Carnegie. He was studying all the most influential entrepreneurs in the world specifically in the U S Rockefeller, Henry Ford, you know, all these amazing, amazing individuals. And he wanted to see, is there a pattern or trend amongst all of them that they, there's, is there one thing in common that seems to lead to success for these individuals? So he's studying all these successful entrepreneurs and he came down to one thing. They all met on a regular basis. They had a regular cadence of meetings with other like-minded successful people and um even though the term he called this the mastermind because he has a circle of minds it Uh ultimately creates a mastermind and i did not know that even though the the term was coined by carnegie it was actually the idea for this regular cadence of meetings was created by ben franklin back in 1725 if i recall back in philadelphia Mm -hmm. and he called it the junta club and the junta club it stands for assemble in in spanish and he would meet every Friday at a local tavern with other influential individuals. It could be politicians, business people, scientists. He wanted to pull different perspectives from different individuals where they could all talk about maybe things they can't talk about in front of other people. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to have a diverse but safe place to do that. So I I run a monthly junta club, I call it the junta club I like of it. Tampa. Um, and it's just it's an amazing experience and I encourage everyone to do that because like you said it's important to have people to, that you can bounce ideas off of that might not be within your field or your in respective industry
0: I completely agree I think you know you gain so much and I, I didn't know that's where the term came from but I think you're right right like it's 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 foolish to think that you yourself without the help of others and yet like the melding of minds can get to the states where you're mastering in any one thing and yeah, not to say it can't be done, but I think it's, it's so much easier and it's, it's, it's so much more fulfilling to do it in the company of peers and in the company of others.
1: Good point. And this segues perfectly. Thinking of books, we're going to segue into a round, uh, a part of the show that I like to call the under 30 seconds round. Okay. Going off the of Forbes 30 under 30 play. All right. I'm going to fire off a few questions and answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready?
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's do it. All
1: right, Dr. Neil. What is the book you've gifted more often than any other book, and why? <laughs>
0: um, okay. The answer is um, this is a super cliche answer, but I I've gifted a ton of um, like old Disney books, like those like Disney compilations, um, not for any personal or professional reason, just because I think a good piece of like. Being an innovative thinker, doing all that is like you have to retain that childish sense of like wonder and excitement. And so I like sometimes I like gift those. Um, not the best business answer. I'd say like the business, the business book I probably gift the most is, is it's a little bit old, but Freakonomics. So right? I just thinking about oh, it yes. in new ways. Um, I got into that book very late, way after the trend, but I fell in love with it. Uh, but so those are my two answers.
1: Freakonomics is great. And uh, in addition to the book, they have a documentary and they even have a podcast now, yeah, which I've is been, great the too. The podcast
0: used to be my, my daily commute. Um, so how good. it's obviously not commuting.
1: He was just interviewed on Joe Rogan's podcast recently. Oh,
0: really? Okay. Um, it's a cool it It's the
1: first time I really heard someone pushing back on Joe Rogan so much. It was, it was good.
0: I'll okay. let's check it out.
1: Number two, Dr. Neil, what's one of the best investments and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why?
0: Whew. Okay, so I'm fairly young and I haven't run that much investing. So my investing will be, so I'll give the, the, the best investments. Um, so on a monetary sense, right, like I was lucky enough to put in what little money I had in high school into like Apple back in the day because I was like, this seems like a cool thing. Um, the worst investments is I'm going to throw my dad under the bus a little bit for this, right? Like back in the day, he was like, oh, you should invest in like those old companies. Like that's what people make money, like GE and stuff. And I did obviously GE stock has, has not done great <laughs> since then. Um, and I think it was just like that taught me. It was just like, you know, you, you can't always do what people are like, this is what everyone does. It's not a good reason for doing it. Um, investments out of the financial world. It's like one of the best investments I ever made. I thought as like time has been just like being willing to like take a step back and like learn a little bit more. Like be like, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, I have to, I want to learn this skill and it's going to be fulfilling and, Know, ranging from like learning new exercise skills, to, like learning to play the guitar, to, like learning, you know, I'm a big chess player, so I play a lot of chess. And I think as a time investment, like you can't overstate like how much new learning gets you there. I feel like my yeah. answer is a little bit longer then, so I'm going to kind of keep the next one short.
1: <laughs> no, yeah. it's fine. It's, there's learning happening here. Yeah. So number three, what's the most impactful thing you do in your morning routine and the most impactful thing you do in your evening routine?
0: Whew, morning, evening. Um... So I'm a I'm a big night owl. So my morning routine is usually pretty rushed. Um, I uh, so I do my best thinking. I think like I immediately get up and like I know a lot of people like go do a bunch of stuff. Like I immediately get up and like hop straight in the shower and then just like use that as a moment to like reflect on like what I need to do. Like I do my best thinking there. I usually like me and my girlfriend split walking out dog. um, But you know those morning walks, I think are just like a useful way to like. De-stress, get some fresh air, like do a lot of that. Um, So I think that's something I really impact in the morning. Evening, I kind of like, I'm catching up a lot of things. My evening routine, I usually like to end the evening with something fun, right? Like don't go straight to work, into bed, even if you're super tired. Like whether it's like playing a game on, you know, playing a game of chess on my phone in the bed or like watching a TV show just to like end the day on like a positive note and like get to a point where I'm like sleeping, and like actually able to relax. Um, I used to, you know, back... uh, when I, you know, in the office, I used to wake up, um, do all of that and then try and end the day with, you know, a workout, right? that was just a good way to reassess, right? Um, don't have access a to a gym, so my OCATs are now like, whenever I have a break within the day. Um, but that's, the, I think I usually like to start the morning off with like a reflection and then like the evening with like some sort of unwinding, whatever that may
1: be. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. It's kind of like the bookends of the day. I always tell yeah. people the your morning routine is only as good as your evening routine. And uh, I love the morning walk and the the morning shower to reflect and have your own personal time so you can be proactive about your day rather than reactive answering all these emails, texts, social media notifications. And uh, what are you doing for your workout now? Do you use an app? Do you use a program?
0: Um, not, so I used to use an app. I'm not really, for my workouts, I'm very much like a go with the flow type of person. Like I'm like, I know what I want to improve on now just to keep doing things till something is. You know, my girlfriend's like far more on top of like the latest, like what's actually good workouts. So if you know have most of my workouts are being like, oh, you be like, oh, I'm gonna try working on this muscle group. So, like, you should try these exercises. I was like, I'll trust you, I'll do that. Um, I've been trying to get far more into like cardio. Luckily my parents have a treadmill in the house and an elliptical. So it's been nothing too complicated just using that.
1: So here's a, a cool app that I use anytime I'm traveling or don't have access to a gym. Yeah. It's it's free. It's called the seven-minute workout app. It's okay. not. Don't don't worry. It's not only seven minutes. They have workouts that range from seven minutes to twenty-seven minutes. Okay. And it's Johnson and Johnson uh, created it, and it's seven awesome. minute a seven-minute workout app. It's free. You don't need any equipment. You can do it anywhere with anyone. So you do it by yourself or with a group of people. It's it's really convenient.
0: I'll check it out. No, um, I've been trying to get a little bit more disciplined about it too. So it's, it's a all team.
1: plyometrics, uh, you know, calisthenics, cardio. So it's got everything involved. And, cool. All right, number four. Pretend you won the Peter Thiel Fellowship, and you are going to get money to start a business instead of go to college. What's the very first thing you would do to start the new business?
0: Okay, so I'm going to give an answer that I'm probably not supposed to give. I am. <laughs> very strongly against the Peter Thiel Fellowship for a few different reasons. So um, so I, I think, like I said, like my background is I always think like I never really wanted to start a company and I wanted to start this company. And I think it's hard to, especially in healthcare, like I think you, you need to know the space and especially in a defense, like you need to know the science. You know, I don't think I could have, even if I had the exact same idea, I don't think I could have started this company as an 18 year old just because I didn't know enough. Right? I had to spend the time to learn and do all of that. Um, so you know, if if we're thinking about current Neil and, like, where I would be, right, like, I'd probably say, like, I'm going I'm to use the money to re-enroll in college. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> That's actually a good point. You know, tech schools and development boot camps yeah. are becoming more and more popular. as You know, Google, Apple, Facebook, yes. no longer require degrees. Is there a school for just science? Like, is there a, a boot camp instead of for coding, but for scientists? Yeah, so
0: I... I Sadly, I have not yet seen one for that, right? I'd say like what you what your love, but people are starting to do is, and I think part of this is it's not any boot camps. Well. It's just like science has traditionally been the kind of very closed off world, right? Like mm. what you learn in high school, there's not really an opportunity to get involved, right? Both because it's hard to access scientific research they're done only in a few select places. And, you know, there's very much like a a, a blocking there. I think that's becoming a little bit better, right? Like you're now seeing science become a little bit more democratized, healthcare data become a little bit more democratized. So people are taking control of their own data they're learning a little bit more. You know, so I've met high schoolers nowadays who like are spending time in their free time, like learning about things outside of the textbook and like starting to inquisitively question things. Mm. Like sort of master
1: good. class, because there's like master class for a a multitude of industries or or experiences you want to learn. And then Coursera, Khan Academy, there's a lot of resources out there for science. So I guess you could do an online version, but I was wondering if there's like an in-person bootcamp. And and if not, it sounds like it would be a great idea. I think so.
0: You know, I have seen some of these like tech or coding bootcamps offer like a healthcare track, right? Like I know Mm. Insight does it. And I think the biggest way is like, you know, what are you trying to learn? Like, are you trying to learn, the science. I think the science. You just have to like get fi- get an internship at a lab. Like find some place that has an opportunity for you to like get involved. If you're trying to learn the tech and apply it to science, yeah, these tech boot camps. Then when it comes to a place to choose your project, like think about healthcare. Think about those projects. Right. You know, we're a little bit weird. Is that like we are a healthcare company, but we really like a deep life science company. Right. The problems we're solving aren't like health records based. They're like let's understand this genetic interaction, this biological function.
1: So there is an academic rigor to it but I also see that some people are just not meant for academia. I think some people can become amazing scientists even 100% through a different route. I think people are starting to realize like maybe I don't need to take the academic route. 100%, ma- yeah. I think I
0: think yeah sorry didn't mean to did No, go out. ahead, go ahead. I will just say like the we can't we'll talk about the 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 pros and cons of academia another day but you know, I think there's recently been this huge movement The fact, like, even if you're not a professor, you can be a great scientist. And you're seeing a lot of these emerging roles of people are like, I never want to be a professor, I just want to learn this and be good at science, right? Whether it's a staff scientist, whether it's just working in like thinking about problems, right? Like, you know, I think what I what I learned in grad school was like, yeah, I learned science, and I memorized some things and learn how to cope. But like, what I think I really learned in grad school, was just how to think about problems. And there's, tons of ways you can learn how to think like grad school does not have a monopoly on that but you know i think college and grad school at least give you the sandbox right where you don't have too many other concerns but like you you have the opportunity to develop that 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 muscle you don't have
1: too many risks yeah that you can you can explore different things without you know losing a company for example exactly
0: and like i don't know if i you know if i would gotten the field fellowship i mean i don't know if i knew how to think out of high school i think i would have been like i had an idea i would have fulfilled Mm -hmm. it like maybe it would have been a good idea maybe it would not have might not
1: have met the people that you've met and and obviously college is great for the social aspect as well and but i remember like i remember being pre-med i don't know if you had the same experience and i'm learning about biology and chemistry but my main passion was the human body And (laughs) human anatomy and physiology wasn't even a requirement to go to medical school. And I'm like, I'm learning about botany and comparative vertebrate anatomy of a shark. And I'm like, and then I remember one of the things I remember telling is King Philip came over for good sex. And it was like, how you, this is how my teacher taught me to remember. Kingdom, phyla,
0: class, order, family,
1: family, genus, species. And it's like, okay, but. I want to learn about the human body and like how the human body is already amazing at at healing itself yeah. and this is the stuff that interests me i'm not i'm not interested as much of the uh let's say phylum
0: yeah so, i so would say so. for anyone who's like studying this and wants to get involved like i i, I the best advice i give people is like just get involved right? like i was lucky enough through people i knew and and just email outreach i had, then i had a chance to like work with in a hospital with a few doctors right and then I mentioned like I probably wouldn't have gone to grad school unless I had the opportunity to work with the DOD and like you just have to reach out and like yo like can I learn a little bit more about this like what is this world actually like I you know I'm sure you you probably had the most experience through your work with the New York Yankees rather than anything you learned in a a yeah
1: a lot of my pre-meds you know classmates had not had the real life experience they were mostly just in the academic world and I love that about what you said is maybe you just don't expect your school to do it for you. You go and reach out to a doctor and shadow them, or you go and reach out to maybe someone in the biotech industry or any industry for that matter and say, hey, can I shadow you for a day? Hey, I'm a student. I wanna see if this is a career I eventually wanna go into. Can I see what the day-to-day life looks like?
0: And I think most people, like I said, most people are more than willing to like offer some insight, right? You have to be reasonable about what you ask. Like people have reached out to me and be like, hey, I'm curious about entrepreneurship. Can I have 20 minutes? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like 20 minutes is like, that's fine. I'm happy to do it. Um, At a certain point, maybe schedules get too complicated, but there's no harm in asking, right? And I think people will find, people say yes more often than they'll say no.
1: All right, last question. What's something you never knew you needed?
0: Never knew I needed. Ah, I think. Mm. For me personally, like a better organizational system, right? Like I've always been the type of person who's like, oh, yeah, I had a good memory. I can remember stuff. And then like when you startups stuff, like I can no longer remember stuff. Um, so I've been trying to get like really disciplined about like apps like Evernote and like taking notes from like different email clients, basically trying like, okay, like this is stuff I would have, you know, someone told me this like a year ago. I'm like, I don't need a note-taking app. Like I'll just write things down on a sheet of paper. Like whatever, it's not that big a deal. Um, but just, like, stuff like that is something I'm like, I never knew. Like, on a professional no, level. My, like, my girlfriend's
1: knew. the same as you. She's like, oh, I'll just remember it. I'm like, but that's consuming cognitive bandwidth. Yeah. That could have been utilized for something more important for creative oh, yeah. decision-making.
0: I think, yeah, I think I, I dramatically underestimate. Like, the cognitive bandwidth is a great word, the decision, like, the description. like I dramatically underestimated, like, just, like, how much the effect of, like, even the stress like even if you know you can the 10 things you can like get them done easily but just like the fact of knowing you have to remember these 10 things is just like an extra stress on your day um and that being said there have been many times where i'll go to a meeting with my team and they're like did you do this i'm like no
1: i forgot um, <laughs> well, this is what i do with my clients so yeah i'm happy to help you when you're ready and yeah we can talk about that let's like, do a little productivity hacks and i love organizations so i'm like the uh what you might be looking for.
0: (laughs) I'd love to. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Um,
1: Perfect.
0: Well, Dr. Neil,
1: thank you so much for being here. Uh, Before you go, what's the next big goal or milestone or bucket list item that you want to achieve?
0: Yeah, so I'll say a one, three thing, right? So we, uh, there'll be some news coming out of the company soon, right? Like we're we're really pushing to try and um, have our next big proof of concept study, right? Like we were lucky enough to have this great study Um, where we found a new drug that treats brain cancers and we've got a few pharma partnerships now and like really like I'm just super it's like the one thing I'm focused on is like getting those done and and showcasing once again like the effect I can have on patients right it's a constant milestone just like what is the next thing we're going to do Um, and then you know honestly like on on my end for anyone listening right like we fundraise and and the next big personal milestone is like building a team I can be a fantastic team who I'm super proud to work with can go for it right so much of, I think, a CEO's job that I didn't realize is just, like, actually recruiting. And I think it's the most important thing, you know, I could probably do for the company. Um, You're so going to love the
1: book, The Who, then. By oh,
0: perfect. Smart. I'll check it out, yeah. Um, so if anyone's listening and they're looking for a job, or hiring, so check us out. But, um, you know, that's what I awesome. like, Get to a place where, like, I'm like, we are ready. Like, the team is there. Now, like, now let's go and execute and all the things you want to execute on.
1: Perfect. So, you listeners, you heard it first. If you are looking to get in a biotech industry... You know where to do it. Yeah. Where do listeners go to potentially reach out about a career opportunity? And then where do listeners go to connect with you directly?
0: Yeah, great question, right? So um, our, our job postings are all on our Angel list and LinkedIn page. Or You can go to our website, 13.bio. Uh, uh, there's a contact form. Send me anything there. Anyone who's listening who wants to connect with me, just shoot me a LinkedIn message or um, add me anywhere, right? Or just shoot me a message on Um, the one three dot bio website right I check all of those at the end of every day and and happy to chat with anyone and and be helpful in any way I can.
1: And by the way, for you listening it's spelled out O N E N three T H R E E dot Bio Exactly,
0: yeah. So spelled Um, out Yeah go ahead. Oh I'm saying for 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 the scientists out there, I'm pretty active on Twitter as well. I don't post that much, but I'm reading a bunch. So it's at Neil Mudrika, shoot me a message. I'll get back to you there as well.
1: We'll put that handle in the show notes as well. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. Uh, This is Dr. Neil with One Three Biotech, who is making cancer research come to fruition with AI and machine learning much faster, more accelerated than we've previously seen. Very exciting. We learned so much today about making sure you're selective and picking your peers and how we can see cancer treatment for the near future. Very exciting news. And thank you so much, Dr. Neal, for being here today. It was such a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much, Phil. It was a pleasure for me as well. And, and thank you for your time. And I'm um, looking forward to talking more in the future as well.
1: Awesome, hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Have an amazing day. Bye. Welcome to the Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. This is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and performance coach. Every year, Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week, I bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, to entrepreneurs with companies like DoorDash, Instagram, and YouTube, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up.